welcome to what will be a very, 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 very long podcast today. I think we're going to hit the 90-minute the mark, and I can't remember the last time or if we've ever done that before. Um, I did forget to mention to my guests, and I wanted to throw this out, but there was so much to get to, uh, so many fascinating things from so many walks of society and so many stories that come across our feeds, because as you've heard Alex and I talk about before, they're all interconnected. But I wanted to tell uh, my friend, uh, Professor Kristen Blakowski, who I met seven years ago um, when I first got hooked up with Lucas County uh, Suicide Prevention Coalition through my friend Jen Wakefield. And Kristen and I have stayed pretty close ever since. And she's brought her program director for an exoneration program and uh, wrongful convictions, Jessica, Dr. Jessica Ziegler, by um, to talk so many things. Uh, this can go a million directions, and, and it does from law and order to being arrested for being black, planting evidence, um, parenting. It's all over the place, and I'm really excited for you to hear this. But I should have warned them that um, I, I, I should have told them that after I get done a lot of interviews, when I do the, the preface, the monologue here to the podcast, I say to you, oh, this is good. this is my favorite episode of the year. Like, remember when we had Cecil last last month? Oh, this is my favorite favorite guest of the year. And that usually happens like once every three weeks or, or once a month. I should have warned these two ladies that I was going to say right now, this has, this, sorry, Cecil, you got bummed for a minute, but you had all of January. And I think Cecil would even appreciate this because there's a lot of mental health woven into this as well. This, even I'm in the moment, and I'm a bit obviously emotional about this, um, letting the moment take over, a bit hyperbolic. This might be one of the best, most informative, thoughtful, philosophical, philosophical psychological um, podcast episodes we've ever done. Let's get to it. Thank you. Uh, not Christine. Good to see you. <laughs> you too. Um, are you doctor or professor? I always confuse I the two. I am professor. I have a JD and it is a Juris Doctor. Okay. But they don't call us doctor. Jessica is a doctor. Professor Blakowski and uh, Dr. Ziegler. Yes. Jen- yep. can, we, can we just call you Jennifer? Yes. Awesome. Perfect. Jen Jessica. for short. Yeah. Jen. Is, is it one N or two? <laughs> Depends on the day. Oh, boy. Depends on the day. Um, the ladies are here to talk about uh, something that you might have seen uh, in the news uh, in the fall of 23. It is the, the Lord's Initiative for Exoneration. That's the name of the program correct correct Je- <laughs> now you're really jennifer you're the program manager correct we have so many titles here to get to so i'm the program director okay. for our department oh. of criminal just criminal and social justice we're all deeply um, here today on a very yes, serious topic but i, I am the life director the life project director got it jessica is the life Project administrator. My yes. my brain hurts now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I actually teach the class that we have, okay. and Jessica does everything in the background to make that happen. Le- <laughs> I do the paperwork. Yeah, I'm the pencil pusher. So the yeah. doctor works for the professor. Ah, yeah. this is, this is... She's a professor too, just yes. not this class. Um, so. so let's start at the top, and I have lots of questions about this topic. It's basically getting uh, innocent people, wrongfully convicted people, out of jail. Um, tell me about this course at Lords. Where did it start? How did it get up and running? Okay. Well, our seniors have a class called Capstone, and it's their culminating project. In the last few years, Jessica and I have been talking about how to 
fix that. It wasn't exactly what we wanted it to be. And um, Jessica had been looking into bringing an Ohio Innocence Project, this university chapter, to Lourdes. And it's, it's a club, basically, that the students learn about wrongful conviction. And just coincidentally, I had met someone a few years ago in the Metro Parks and um, told her I was a criminal justice professor at Lourdes, and she sent me an email about two weeks before classes started this fall. And we talked a little bit, and we met at a coffee shop uh, in, in basically a week before classes started. And um, the person that I met, um, her name's Kay Anderson, and she has been doing these investigations on her own. And she said that she really wanted to get a university involved. And so she remembered me and emailed me. So it all just kind of came together. But we changed our capstone project basically two weeks before classes started. What's a capstone project? It's their, it's senior year. The students in the past have written like a 20-page paper. They spend the entire semester investigating a topic. Um, criminal and social justice is what our major is so in that realm. So when we talked about this wrongful conviction issue, they're doing investigations. They're looking at all the paperwork, all the filings, all the court filings. They're looking at the reasons why wrongful convictions occur. They're looking at um, every single topic, basically, that they've learned in the last three and a half years of, of their education at Lourdes. And so we decided this would be a really good culminating project for, sure. for them. What what was the capstone project before the quick change? It was that 20-page paper. Oh, I'm sure they're delighted with this, <laughs> they, right? It's their favorite thing to do. <laughs> right, they love page. to write. They love to read, right. research, and yeah, that's it, their favorite thing. If you want to go to Lourdes and write long papers, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jessica, other than doing paperwork here, how, what do you do as a part of this very important project and program. Yeah. So, um, like Kristen mentioned, um, some of the work that I'm doing is helping to run the Ohio Innocence Project U um, organization. So, that's the student chapter. And we host events. Um, we will have one coming up sometime in March. We don't have a specific date yet. But uh, bringing in guest speakers, um, people who work in wrongful conviction. So, more of that community education aspect of mm -hmm. it. Um, and then I also will be helping and assisting with some of the investigations as needed um, because we have a lot that we need to get through. Mm -hmm, um, for so sure. Helping to organize all of that and just kind of really just doing more of the background support aspects. They're all they're all seniors, you said, correct? They are seniors, correct. Uh, how much has been a part of their education there when it comes to wrongful convictions? Well, they've a lot of the classes that they've had, like, their constitutional law, criminal law, um, criminal investigation. Um, we do a communications class. And, for example, in the communications class, we talk about how um, interrogations can lead to confessions that are not true. And no one believes that people can or will confess if they haven't actually committed the crime 
um, people are starting to realize that, yes, they do. Um, the uh, Netflix show, I think, uh, When They See Us, is about the Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. Um, they were wrongfully convicted. Was that in the 80s or the... 90s. I get my decades oh, I, confused. I think it was the 80s. Yeah, I so. you weren't born I, 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 actually, it was, <laughs> I think it was like 84, 85, and yeah. not to impugn anybody, but I think somehow wasn't Donald Trump connected to that as yes. well? Yeah, he took yes. out an entire page ad in yeah. the New York Times calling for their yeah, execution, yeah. right? Yeah, I think yeah like bring that. back uh, the death penalty. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so were they, they learn about that. Were the kids excited when they got this project to kind of put all the things that they've learned into some action and not a 20-page paper? I actually let them vote. So How the, democratic the, of you? <laughs> well, they signed up for a class thinking that they were going to have this paper, that they were going to... In fact, I had sent them an email over the summer saying, think about your topics, think about the things you've learned over the last few years, and come in with some ideas. So then when they came in the first day and I said, so I've kind of had this opportunity and let me know what you think and I think how many students did I have 13 or 14 this I don't know 14 let's say I had this semester or last semester and it was only one person voted that they wanted to do the 20 page paper and so she made him write (laughs) right the rest of the students cornered that that student and no I actually I, I said I said to him that if you want to write that paper, I will do both. I'll have these students do this, and you can write the paper. And he said, "No, no, I don't know what I was thinking." Right, right. It was he, it was a coerced confession, right? It was. He was coerced into it. Um, so that's the yeah. the class. That's the class. And is it an every semester thing now? We so they. What happens is when they go there three years, they come in their senior year. Um, we explain it. You just went through CPR with right. all that paperwork. Yeah. yeah, so usually they at the capstone class is just the fall semester. Mm-hmm. But we realized after doing this, of course, you know, you start things out and you realize through the process, oh, we need to change things. We're going to make it an entire year. So they'll have the fall semester and spring semester. So they'll do investigations for an entire year. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's dive into the big general broad questions. Uh, go to Lourdes, be a student of, of Kristen's, be nice to Jessica. And uh, all right, let's get to the big stuff now, because these are questions that I, we've never had this conversation on the podcast here or anything like that. And you're the person to answer them, Jessica, as well. And I always forget that you. it's so cool. You were in the FBI, weren't you? I was. What did you do? Yes, I was. I was an FBI agent. That's yes. so badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Um, now I'm old. I, I was. It's so badass. <laughs> Right, you're not old. You're not old. Um, you were also a police officer, and, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to start with this question, but your background is helpful. Uh, FBI agent, police officer, defense attorney. Like some people probably go, well, that didn't like one and one didn't equal two. There, you you would think prosecutor, but clearly maybe a light bulb went on for you and said, I want to help people. It it's it. I was asked this question actually in my FBI interview because... I ask FBI interview type questions? Yes, I am so impressed. I'm a good investigator. Um, They asked, because I work for the public defender's office in law school, and they asked me, now you'll be switching to basically the other side. side, Right. And my answer still stands. It's that it's not about 
two sides. It truly is about finding the truth. It is not about winning and losing. Um, it is about finding out who actually committed the crimes. And so this project really does fit in with my attitude with the criminal justice system that it's about the truth. So if we have individuals that were wrongfully convicted, um, yes, I believe that there are people out there that commit crimes and need to pay for it, but the right people yeah. need to pay for it. Is it not to uh, to give pushback to the FBI agent, but is it really about the truth or is it in many cases? Because I'm, I'm sure people think, how can a defense attorney um, try to defend what this person likely did? There's enough evidence to prove that. Isn't it also about defending their constitutional rights it's as well? It's totally about that. And that's not necessarily truth because we know the truth, but perhaps the prosecution is going about it in illegal ways. But in defending their constitutional rights, that we have those safeguards so that we do find the truth. So when those safeguards are violated, you're much more likely to get a wrongful conviction. Um, a lot of people call those technicalities. Mm. Well, it's the Constitution, <laughs> right. so it's not really a technicality. I hate that phrase. Why? It's such a crutch. Yes. Oh, they got yeah. off on a technicality right. for anything. Uh, the the uh, the 49ers lost the other night on a technicality. Yeah. No, they didn't. No. They, they didn't get any fumbles. <laughs> That's not a technicality. Right, right. Yeah, so we we actually, I teach the freshman intro to criminal justice class, and we start out, the very first paper they have to write about is on Blackstone's ratio, which is, I'm going to read this. Please. For the law holds, it is better that 10 guilty persons escape than that one innocent suffer. So I get their opinion. Do you believe in that quote? Now, our whole system is based on the balance of individual rights and safety. Yeah. I, I do this with my hands going up and down like a scale. I know you can't see me on, on that. She's doing scale there. things. <laughs> I know where you're going with this, and you've and, got my wheels turning. Yes. And so I ask them which is more important in that very first paper. And then when they get to their senior year with this wrongful conviction pro um, project, they're actually putting those ideas to work by investigating an individual who might have been a one innocent who suffered. So what is what's the answer? The answer is whatever they believe. Um, so many people in our country, if you look at politics, for example, um, it's all about safety and I'm afraid and crime rates mm. are so high. Um, I, I'm actually doing a presentation tomorrow on, on police reform and I just pulled the crime rates from the 80s and 90s you, compared to today. Wait, and <laughs> Let me finish if I may. You wouldn't believe them. And I say that in a way that will probably strike people. Please yes. continue with what yeah. they are. So the, the, the rates are off the chart high in the 90s and they're so low in comparison right now in the 80s where literally there are probably not to pick on anybody people from and jessica you hop in anytime sure um <laughs> i tend to there are probably people lot. from from waterville or rural areas that will go to new york city and think that they're 
rape, murder, yes. things are going to be stolen from them. No, that was actually kind of nearly true in the 80s. Mm-hmm. We had the crack e- epidemic, mm-hmm. but crime compared to decades mm-hmm. ago is is minuscule, even right. with these peaks we've had during COVID. But people think mm. it's still as high. So what you are told, you believe, whether you look at the actual data. Um, and we, in our program, try mm-hmm. and actually look at data and interpret that data. What a novel idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not as high. Um, yeah. So uh, When you... I would love if you want. I will write that paper. I would like to. Uh, you could grade it if you want, okay. but I can give you the the short version now. My my thesis would be one innocent person versus ten guilty people in jail. I need to know. Uh, and this is my minutia. Mm-hmm. This is why you would smack me if I was your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to know what they were guilty of. Mm-hmm. How potentially dangerous are they? Who is the person that might be innocent going to jail? What message would that carry? But with all that nonsense, what I would actually go into is a a wonderful question that I learned reading, it was, I think, Batman and Philosophy. I thought you were going to say... But it, it's Batman. Do, are you familiar with this this pop culture question? No. No. Should Batman have killed the Joker? Because oh. he has one rule. He does mm-hmm. not kill. Right. But we, we're all pretty familiar with this. Like the Joker is pure chaos and carnage. Right. And his unwillingness to put a stop to that because we know that Arkham can't keep anybody and they should have a total review of the employees there right. and personnel. He keeps getting out and killing people. Right. He's costing yeah. lives. It's a it's right. a wonderful philosophical question, and that's what I think of. And you talk about safety. Are we are we are we letting ten guilty murderers out? Well, so you talk about Batman's principles and his philosophies. We have a philosophy in our country that you're innocent until proven <laughs> guilty. I think that's a nice thing that we say. I don't know if it's a philosophy we it, necessarily use anymore. It is the basis of our criminal justice mm. system. It truly is. And if you believe in that innocent until proven guilty, then you have to follow those principles that it's better that 10 guilty people go free than that one innocent suffer. So it doesn't matter what those other 10 did Mm -hmm. if you believe in those ideals yeah and also to throw another wrench in there is recidivism rates or Mm -hmm. who's even more likely if you let people out will they actually reoffend? we don't know murder rates uh, tends to be low this is so so complicated and leading into that jessica thank you i read this uh, a couple of weeks ago and i hope you ladies have like 90 minutes because this stuff fascinates the hell out of me <laughs> when you said the uh the show on netflix i thought you were gonna go mind hunter did you watch that <laughs> i did wonderful I really show were, are were you as disappointed as the the rest of us mind hunties were that they didn't do another season i was i really enjoyed that it was a good yeah. show and yeah. and probably f- uh romanticized poetic a little bit but, but somewhat um truthful in how forensic psychology began and we can come back to this because we have come maybe centuries in just a handful of decades with technology um a couple weeks ago i think it was whoever runs the wood county jail they might have been looking for more money and you might have seen this this quote i'm fairly certain that whoever runs that thing or might have been like the wood county i don't think it was wood county sheriff i'd remember his last name they said this is the county's largest mental hospital mm-hmm. yep um, and I think now people are slowly starting to get the mental health aspect because it's been such a talking point, especially us as we met through the Suicide Prevention Coalition. Um, 
that that hopefully opens some eyes to some people. Jessica, you seem to perk up with that, so throw yeah. something at me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always, well, we both always make it clear that just because somebody has a mental health problem does not mean that they're going to be violent or that they're dangerous. However, the way that we respond to mental health issues in this country usually is through law enforcement. Um, so people who are in crises or when you recognize or see someone who's in a crisis, a lot of times you call 911 and then who's going to end up responding to that situation is law enforcement who now, are not always necessarily trained to handle I, I, that. I've seen personally getting to go over to the police academy, actually talk to these people and Kristen, maybe you have as well. We're starting to work on that a little bit, especially as we're getting younger people in police forces where mental health, as we've seen, mm-hmm. like your kid, how's Josh? Josh is 26 now. Jeez, wow. I've, I've been here a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so people younger than Josh, uh, mental health is part of their, their dialogue. Mm-hmm. Since since they could watch things and type things, a lot of people older, Josh's age and up, have had to, to learn it and, and embrace it. So I'm glad to see that in our police and authority forces where they're, um, like decades ago, turn around, I'm arresting you, as opposed to, what can I do for you? How can I help you when they Correct. see a person mm-hmm. in crisis? The, the issue is that the, the training for police officers for um, mental health issues is not mandatory yet in our state. Um, and it is important. I truthfully, if someone in my family were having a mental health crisis, um, I'm not sure I would call the police myself right now. Although I did have an experience um, where the police um, had been called by a neighbor, and it was in Maumee, and the Maumee police did a phenomenal job. The individual that responded, three or four, but the one had training and was just phenomenal. They get it at, at yes. the, to, our Toledo Police Academy. Do you know Robert, Robert Kasperzak used to work at the Mental Health Board? or He was yeah. uh, he was the one that usually invited me out to the academy, however mm-hmm. often they run that. And it was great to see it. Like He was talking brain science. Mm-hmm. There would be a picture up on Good. his PowerPoint yeah. of this is what a healthy brain looks like. This is what an unhealthy brain looks like. And this is how and why we have to treat these people differently. How many hours do they get? Do you know? I don't know. Chance? I don't know. But it was pretty intensive. And and again, when I would talk to these, they're, they're kids that are younger than Josh. Mm-hmm. They're kids, some some out of high school. Yeah. So they're nodding along rather than kind of not rolling their eyes. But, right. but right. as teachers, you know, a bit disengaged. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah. think some of this, thankfully, hopefully, can be organically helped i hope as well i will say that even we have students now that mental health we we talk to our students on a regular basis i'd, I'd yeah. say probably six years ago was the first time i had a student say i can't come to class because i just had like a major anxiety attack so i mean they do talk about it but we also still have students whose parents have drummed into them that it's weakness and getting on medication is weakness. So it's difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, we're not doc. Well, here I'm a doctor, a but I'm not. Doctor. You're right. <laughs> I am not a therapist. We're, we're not, you know, psychiatrists, and we can't diagnose ADHD, but we sure can see it. The mm-hmm. behaviors in students, mm-hmm. and you know, when you say maybe you should go 
get checked. Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. And, and well, you haven't done homework in two years because you <laughs> procrastinate. It is better, though. Because there are, yes. in fact, I, I just had this discussion it is better. the other day. In fact, we've gotten too much um, psych talk, mental health talk in pop culture where the pendulum might have swung too far the other way. Oh, you're laughing at me? Because you... <laughs> Lots of anxiety. Everyone has anxiety. Right. And, and I'm not making fun of it because most it, everyone does have anxiety. Right. It's just so, it's this, this social contagion but, yes. effect. Yeah. Um, yes. I was just telling a friend the, the other day where I wish, because I am a, a good friend of mine who um, did behavioral health stuff at University of Finley. And now she does her own practice, focuses on kids. And I was like, what do I say as someone who is not a clinician when the classroom stuff is... Well, you can't talk about suicide in the class because then the then the kids will do it. The nonsensical oh, stuff from the eighties. Yeah, and she that. and she's she's like, This is what you say. Um it it maybe, but that kid was probably already there anyway mm-hmm, right. and you weren't gonna stop them. But what you did is save a couple of other kids who right, might have sat right. on their hands. Yeah. And I'm I'm in a way walking that I'm not walking it back, but with the way things have changed in the last couple of years, I wish we could find, wish we could thread the needle yes. of um, fewer people knowing about suicide. With Jessica, how old are you? Oh my gosh, I had to think about that for a second. I'm 32. Okay, so yeah. you you as well, growing, kid in the 90s, I was 80s. Kristen, you were like early 80s. When we grew up, suicide wasn't a thing. Like, you didn't... No, you, 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 people did that? <laughs> well, they they did it but until two thousand one. Yeah, <laughs> they they did it, yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't in the zeitgeist. We just knew that if we did drugs, our brain was going to look like an egg. Yes. So it was obviously a thing. It wasn't yes. talked about, right? Um, for sure. Because God's honest truth with the distress I went through as a as a kid, right. undiagnosed. Had I known that that was there, I would be like a kid now. I wish we could thread the needle of not knowing so much about suicide as the siren song of it always lingering there, but also the strength of kids today knowing, I, I want to go talk to somebody. I'm okay on medication. Correct. Yeah. I, I am with you with that 100%. Yeah. Back to you. Yeah. Like I said, yes. Jessica, Dr. Jessica, you mentioned recidivism. Um, one, can you explain what that is? And then we, we brought it up because of jails. Can we talk about that aspect of of things as well, how like uh, I think we all kind of many of us laugh at it, laugh at it now. Um, jail and prison was for you know rehabilitation and reform. We work you back up, we get you back out there. You're a productive part of society, not quite, mm. um, and it hasn't been that way for like a couple of centuries. Can you right. talk about that and what it's like a jail experience, and if any of that is changing? Yeah, sure. Uh, so recidivism, it can vary in terms of how people define it or measure it. But typically what we're talking about is somebody who's been in the system, convicted of a crime, has ended up in jail or prison, leaves, and then returns or gets rearrested, commits a new crime, something along those lines. So they end up back in the system. So it's kind of usually a revolving door. Um, I think more recent estimates are about mm, somewhere between after five years, about 40% of people end up back in prison. Then you get to nine years and it's upwards of 60 or 70% of people who've been in prison end up back in prison because they've committed a new crime. So, I mean, when you think about prisons and jails, so I teach our penology class, which is about 
the prison and jail experience and what that's like. Um, it's it's definitely not fully rehabilitation. A lot of it is just here. We're going to put you in this place for a little while, and then we'll let you go when you've served your time or when you're up for parole, and then we'll hope mm-hmm. hope you don't return. A place that, that in many ways exacerbates. Even yeah. the smallest Correct. of mental health issues, right? Absolutely. We're, so, we're, we're yeah. making more criminals in some ways. Right. Um, so, one, they're spending a lot of time with who? People who are in prison <laughs> right. for committing crimes. Um, and then a lot of them have all of either a lot of childhood trauma or they've grown up in places that are not so great that they're going to return to or they have mental health problems or um, substance use issues. So mm-hmm. that, I mean, all of these things. Now, prisons have gotten better about Focusing on treatment and thinking about, okay, this person's going to go back into society. How can we prepare them? Um, but a lot of them don't have, you know, high levels of education or work experience, and so how do we help people people prepare mm-hmm. for that? We, yeah. They don't always have the resources in the prisons either, right. in the the system, <clears throat> and then. The other part of that is the recidivism rate, and and we're seeing this with our the individuals who are getting out of prison and they're wrongfully convicted they're having a hard time getting jobs finding stability getting that attitude of of that prisonization out of their you know their psyche and so all of those things add to Mm -hmm. that ability to not fully integrate back into society and then end up doing something else right when we talk about re-entry um i mean there are just even little things like some people go into prison and they actually can sometimes excel there Mm -hmm. because they have structure like how somebody is telling you day in day out what to do when to wake up when to take your medicine like being in the army yeah some people are cut out exactly some kids were we did better. Few did better right. at home during COVID because school bullying, anxiety. Good for right. them. So, great yes. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they don't have someone when they leave helping them through that whole process. It's just kind of like here is maybe a fifty dollar gift card and some clothes and okay, go have fun. Here's mm-hmm. the bus ride home. Yeah. Um, and meet with your parole officer maybe. So yeah. there's that, and then there's the stigma of having the criminal record. So not yeah. very many people want to help someone who's leaving prison get a job. Um, sometimes people won't rent, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to people who have a mm-hmm. felony record. Um, and that's yeah, another just... thing with our attitudes mm-hmm. in our society. We're very, very punitive. Mm-hmm. And we don't think about the fact that, okay, we're going to punish you and we're going to stick you in this metal and concrete box. But when you get out, no one thinks about that. Mm-hmm. And those things that Jessica was saying, those programs that they need that rehabilitation, people don't want to pay for that. If they think, oh, that person is getting a, their high school education or their college degree or working out or doing whatever on my dime. Unfortunately, it's not a it's not a <laughs> sexy investment, although it's incredibly productive uh, to tie that back to our, our friend Jen, who... Uh, arguably brought us together mm-hmm. many years ago now mm-hmm. she was in the navy she always talked about it. she was always an advocate and i i learned from her that oh yeah you know uh the armed forces need to do a better job like we train you real good to get in we got to do a better job training mm-hmm. you to get out right same thing imagine if we invested in people who were 
lowish level offenders, like not the really super serious, dangerous people, the ones that we can truly rehab. And I, I was a big advocate of this a couple of years ago when everybody was complaining, nobody wants to work. Every, every building had a, uh, um, now hiring, mm-hmm. but you were being, as you pointed out, so biased and so, and you were stigmatizing so many people who were mm-hmm. sitting right there mm-hmm. for you. Like, so what? They broke into something when they were 18 years old. They're right. 34 now. And you, right. I did this when I was doing a lot of things with my friends at the Ability Center. Same thing. Same same uh, discrimination right. or bias. I don't want to hire you because you don't have an arm or you can't walk. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Well, then leave your now hiring sign up because good freaking luck. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's true. And and the, the other part of that is... Um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> the other part of rehabbing people, putting know, them back. Inve- the oh, the investment. Yeah, hmm. when when we invest in in people and they get out and they don't, they are less likely to recidivate. Then the crime rates are lower. If we keep screaming about the crime rates being so high and safety being our number one priority, then maybe we would look at doing the things that actually work. Not it, right. not just punishing people. It's it's sexy to the average person to put your money towards locking up a bad person mm-hmm. rather than putting them back out to being a productive member of society who could potentially be the person who you see every day serving you coffee when they're out mm-hmm. instead of you bitching that this person is so slow getting me my coffee. Mm-hmm. Now we've given somebody an opportunity and I don't it's it's a perverse way but not the three of us going, it's no different than somebody going through higher education. We're trying, sorry, no, no pun, no knock. You're educating people to put them in, in, to put good people out in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a big building of people who are potentially good people that we can put out there, but you just want to make sure your money goes towards keeping them in there as long as possible. And as you've pointed out, Dr. Jessica, a pretty awful place. Yeah. It's not, it's not a lovely place to be. And no. Um, And the other thing too, is if you invest a little bit of money now, then you're saving a lot Mm long-term. I mean, we just went over this in my class last week. It, some states it can be as low as sixteen thousand dollars a year to house an inmate. Some states it's as high as sixty thousand dollars per inmate per year. Like we we pay for that too. So if they're going to get out and then end up back in the system, not to mention the court costs, the yep. legal fees, all of that. I mean, it just all those things add up too. Rather than having somebody be productive and contributing mm-hmm. to society, I don't think this is. Uh, the usual blame game of well it's the phone stupid i think human beings because of the way we're wired have always been pretty selfish and survive and part of that is the myopia that you just talked about um if you spend ten thousand dollars right now um you could save maybe thirty thousand dollars over the course of you know x amount of years i don't want to spend the money right now right right. and and it has nothing to do with tight financial times that's just like human behavior in the most cases gratification yes and if you look at our schools for example we we use the punitive model there we, when individuals do something wrong, we suspend send them, them home. Send them home. What? Yeah, so they yes. don't get an education, right? Um, rather than doing some type of restorative justice where you bring people together and try and talk about what happened and look at the how what you did impacted everybody else so that they learn emotional intelligence and they learn empathy and they understand how other people feel. No, we just punish them. I, I, I see some changes 
there. Um, you have to ask your students because they were recently there. I see some changes there. The the criticism that I might feel is that they're just not real good at it right now. Or as you ladies both probably know, the people that handle those problems um, in schools, whether it's TPS, Sylvania, Mommy, Anthony Wayne, it's just they're so overwhelmed that they can't handle those right, those situations because right. again and, they take time. Yeah. And and mediation is not some it's a skill that you have to be taught. You have to learn it. And in fact, I, I see people where we work trying to do mediations, and I'm like, I, that person <laughs> has never been trained that I know of because they sure aren't doing it right. Um, so it's something that you have to learn how to do. It's a it's an actual skill. And if you do it wrong, you can make the problem worse. When you try and bring together, for example, a a victim and an alleged perpetrator, and you're forcing them to come together, that's not a good situation. (laughs) Anybody who's watched Law & Order knows that. (laughs) Um, I'm going to take a a quick break here uh, as we continue. We'll we'll do do halftime and then we'll keep going. I have to cut a quick traffic report. Sit tight. All right. Do you do those for all the stations? Does that go on all the it stations? It does. Uh, I, I, sometimes I'm listening. I'm like, that's Eric. <laughs> and, I, and I take pride in it, too, because <laughs> people always say, what's well, Toledo? There's, there's not a lot of traffic. Yes, there is. There is. And when there's something, people want to know. Lately? Exactly. <laughs> I have started to, like, before I leave work, put in. I, like, yeah, what? I used to never check the traffic yeah, and now I have to check it almost and... every day. Yep. Because mm-hmm. I take 475 and... North and South? It's, yes, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful scene out there right now. I can't believe... <laughs> and I see the accidents. I see stuff in like real time and I live over there so I... I When I lived downtown I was 475 East and West. Now mm-hmm. I'm North and South and with all the moving and mommy and stuff, mm-hmm. I can't... And how tight some of those t- turns are with the semis, mm-hmm. I can't believe there are not more accidents. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, okay, halftime's over. Okay. One of one of the like this was like the third question I wanted to get to, and we're having a wonderful discussion. Um, so thank you again for being here. Can you put some numbers on how many people are wrongfully convicted? And in part with that, you alluded to it earlier. What's usually the cause for it? Ooh. I've got Is it like driving some... while being black? <laughs> I well, yeah, there well, are, um, yes. I asked there's definitely numbers. I asked for a reason. There are for a racial reason. disparities. Yes, if there are. The numbers, I have. I can go into the reason. And yeah. I'm not looking for Absolutely. specific numbers, but right. just like I, bo- I do have some, <laughs> so I can what? provide doctor something. professor. Uh, well, this is so. Keep in mind, this is the well. One, I'll say this is from the National Registry of Exonerations. Um, so not everybody on their list has actually been exonerated. So they at least have been wrongfully convicted that we know of. Um, and even then, this doesn't cover every single case. So, um, But at least since 1989, there have been 3,386 people wrongfully convicted in the United States that we know of. Um, and then here in Ohio, we have 108 wrongfully convicted cases. I would have of. thought the numbers are much larger. And you know what? They probably are, but yes. those are the people who have been exonerated. That we know of right well Um, and that that's another problem is that the terminology mm -hmm. that is used there's issues with that so um 
when we say an individual is wrongfully convicted, that's kind of a talking point. That's where we can have a discussion. We can say, here are the problems with their cases. We believe they've been wrongfully convicted, meaning that something happened in their case, um, which we've got these seven issues that we look at. Um, but that doesn't mean that they've been exonerated or they've been found to be wrongfully imprisoned. So even the term exoneration, um, the National Registry of Exonerations uses pardons as exonerations. A pardon is not technically an exoneration. Because you could be pardoned even if you're guilty, correct? Yes. yes. We might actually have that. If someone wins a presidency, he might pardon himself. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry to make you cry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. And so often an individual will be pardoned, but that doesn't mean that they are saying they've been wrongfully convicted. So um, the, there has to be a finding of wrongful imprisonment, basically, by a court in Ohio. That's how we do it. And if an individual has been wrongfully imprisoned and found to be wrongfully imprisoned, um, then they have the possibility of getting the, there's a financial amount, like $64,000 for each year in prison. It pops up in the news once a year or so. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And the issue is that, well, we have had nobody in Lucas County that has been um Exonerated, or has been found to be wrongfully imprisoned. Um, that that in itself, um, you it's said not that they haven't. We don't have wrongful convictions, right? Correct. They haven't been found. found. Yeah, yes. and explain what we've done, like with the dark pleas, like how. Um, oh yeah, so I mean, well, we have like I can think of at least one case. Um, Didn't Carl? Yes. And, Braddy. Yes. Um, so uh, two individuals, Carl and Wayne. So um, they were really, it was last March, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, they entered what we would call an Alfred plea. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially where they say, okay, we're going to release you. Um, we're not going to actually admit that there was anything wrong, that you were wrongfully convicted or that we're, we're, you're wrongfully imprisoned. Um, we're just going to release you and... Um, and so basically, well, you plea to a, like plea a, lesser, to offense. a lesser offense, and uh, unless um, any new evidence necessarily shows your guilt, I thought the um, Alfred plea yeah. worked the, the other way, where you, uh, a defendant, uh, gives an, an Alfred plea. What is it like, like? I'm not guilty, but there's enough evidence to convict me. Is that how that works? Or am I thinking of someone else's name? It's like no contest. Yes. Yeah. Right. Where right. I'm not. How I explain no contest plea is, or is that I'm not going to admit that I did it. I know the court's going to find me guilty, um, but I'm not going to admit it. That's yeah. basically what it is. Um, and the court will find an individual guilty. Now, that happens a lot with plea bargaining. Um, individuals realize they don't want to fight it because our courts are, they're a gamble. Mm -hmm. And expensive. Mm -hmm. They're expensive and you have to have lawyers and that's more, more money. Um, but if an individual, let's say your lawyer comes to you and says, they're offering you um, 
a manslaughter charge and you'll get let's say 10 years or we can go to trial can I ask you, and you can spend life in prison can what i ask you, you for do? a less law and ordery uh example because we've all seen that on every crime <laughs> show I, and i'm serious like more like aggravated assault felony assault misdemeanor something like that like third degree felony because that's probably yeah less so, known to the layperson so they 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 will what plea go- you're not gonna fall Whoa, i promise they're scary um, plea bargaining is basically the prosecutor and the defense lawyers will come together and the prosecution, it's expensive to go to trial for the prosecution as well. If their case isn't as great as they think it is, they'll offer a lesser offense. So, um, I, I think, um, I'll give you aggravated assault. Okay. Um, I got, aggravated I, assault. I got into a fight. I hit a dude in the, in his back with a bat. Yeah, offer and, me a and, plea bargain. And let's say you're you're. If we go to trial on that one, I don't even know what it is. I'd have to look it up. But let's say it's ten years, ten to fifteen years, or they're offering right now just a simple assault, and you'll only have to go for three. Let's say that's just an example. Lawyers have to look those things up too. Sure. <laughs> So the individual has to weigh, oh my gosh, do I want to go to prison for 15 years or just do my three and be done with it? And a lot of people, most people, because we see most cases don't go to trial, they will take that plea bargain. And I'm sure that too funnels back into wrongfully convicted because they couldn't afford the lawyer or what. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jessica, I want to come back. You mentioned Carl and Wayne. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did we finish that story? Alpha plea. They were released. Yes. Yeah. So they were really. I mean, and right now where it stands is, um, so they were. They haven't been exonerated. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and we're so working they, on their case a little. I mean, Kay's actually Kay Anderson's been working on their case. To yeah, try to get and them that's exonerated, what we're but calling a dark plea. Yeah. So trying basically, dark, it's, it's dark, a way like to, dark Brandon. Dark, got it. <laughs> yes. Got it. Yes. She knows it. Not you. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, it's just a way for uh, basically prosecutors' offices to not have to admit any wrongdoing and let them say, "Okay, time served, and we'll let you out." Got it. Um, um, we I met somebody uh, who works at the substance abuse uh, clinic uh, with UTMC. Uh, I forget what her name was, but when I told some friends that I met this woman and she found out that like I knew a lot of people around town and she was surprised I didn't know her husband. And I bring this up because apparently this guy is quite famous for being wrongfully convicted here and uh, is back out in the community because he never did anything wrong or whatever it was. I don't know if you might have known that case off the top of your head. What's his name? I don't remember. Oh, uh, uh-huh. Black couple, probably. Yes. I was going to say, it would be. Yeah. Because yeah. she looked at me. She's like, you seem to know a lot of people. You probably know my husband. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. And she said, I, I have no idea. And then a friend of mine, you know Alex Thomas, right? I don't think so. I have to bring you up to speed with that. We've okay. missed some time. Right. She's like, you don't know who he is? I was like, I've never heard this story. Yeah. He yes. was wrongfully convicted, yes. correct? Yes. And how long was he in jail? He, I believe it was about 20 <laughs> years. And my he God. still has not been. He's yes, one of the cases he was pardoned by Governor DeWine. Mm-hmm. Pardoned, but, yep, but not exonerated again. And so yes. he has not 
received that financial reimbursement for all yeah. those years he spent in prison. If I got that story crossed up with something else, uh, whoever's listening, I apologize. But again, nonetheless, still a good right, example. Right, And he's and done then, phenomenal things right. in the community. It's, gotta, it's, it's likely who that, because he works in reentry. I believe he serves mm-hmm. on the reentry coalition mm-hmm. and he has his own um, business where he, he works in reentry and helps, especially a lot of cases like Carl and Wayne, they have to, you know, re-enter society. So he's helping assist with all of that, mm-hmm. and and does mental health work. So uh, it's got to be him, and yeah. his wife, probably yeah. young looking, but maybe early fifties, forties yeah. or so. He, he was the yes. speaker on the event we had in October. Mm-hmm. He was our main speaker. Yeah, did a phenomenal job. Um, so the answer to my question of what, why are people most commonly wrong? wrongfully convicted mm-hmm. it's probably a constellation of answers unless there is there's, one reason there, there there's a lot okay yep. um how high up on that list is being black and i am a thousand percent serious and you ladies know i am <laughs> yeah that's and, that definitely plays a role that and socioeconomic status so mm-hmm. like you mentioned like can you afford right a lawyer or do you have to go with public defense so one of the reasons is uh, inadequate assistance of mm-hmm. counsel mm-hmm. um and that completely goes along with socioeconomic status unfortunately in our society it goes along with race mm-hmm. um, so that's one the um, official misconduct is another issue <laughs> why don't you explain that for the people that aren't paying attention to law and order oh, police can do things improperly prosecution can do things improperly I think a lot of what police misconduct and this is just going to kind of show my naivete maybe is i think they get tunnel vision when they believe that they truly have the right person and they're finding little pieces of evidence well circumstantial circumstantial evidence when you piece that all together it looks like a guilty person and they get that tunnel vision and i think they really believe in their case you become it becomes like many things self-fulfilling yep. and it's also yeah. part it's also part of your job exactly. like conviction rates and arrest rates yep. not that there are numbers to necessarily meet but this and, is your job right. you want to get and the bad guys and you also right. feel good about helping the victims the victims families so i i think are there bad police officers out there that violate rights, that plant evidence, that do those types of things? Yes. But I think the majority of it is just doing things that are inadvertent. Accidental or yeah. mm-hmm. now with all of our jobs. Um, and this is really the way it should be because we're, we're playing catch up for decades of, mm-hmm. of um inappropriate things for, for all of us like things that us, right. us we had to go oh I didn't know I was offending somebody um, they have so many things to know and learn and so many protocols and that can be yep. over and overwhelming for sure right. and, and another part one another issue for example is eyewitness misidentification well juries believe eyewitnesses mm-hmm. there's no reason they have to lie most people are there they don't have anything to do with the case and they say, this is who did it. Or if they're the victim, they for sure want to get the right person and they identify the person, even if it's the wrong person. And a lot of that is police techniques in 
eyewitness identification in lineups in this is um, the person you saw right right, right. exactly mm. you've not, seen not, the law and order where they bring out the book with all yeah. the mug shots and they you know who did it well, and <laughs> there's a way to do that now that we didn't know before mm-hmm. well now the science is out there we know the proper way to do it but it's st- a lot of the older officers right Mm-hmm. Don't do that. They haven't been taught that. We can, if you pull up any type of um, uh, cases going along with that is wrongful confessions. So mm-hmm. false confessions, again, it's police processes often that do that. Um, the science is out there. There's ways to do it that are proper, but they tend to go back to the what they were taught in the academy 20, 30 years mm-hmm. ago, which is... Well, I, I'm not even going to say it because archaic. Oh no! It's a, well, there's an actual um, technique. It's called the Reed technique, and um, it has been shown to lead to false confessions. Well, Reed, the the company is out there saying they've changed things. It doesn't do that anymore, but it it's one of those things that. I- I think we all know we live in, in an information age, an accountability age. Mm-hmm. I like to use the example of, because I I, um, I like sports a lot. I will never do sports talk radio again because I don't need Charlie who calls in and said, the Lions suck. They're just absolutely, like you, and this applies to like almost across the spectrum. We can't just say opinions as fact anymore right. Right. because as every 14-year-old knows or should know, everything is out there. Like we can we have information that can refute your your staunch opinion right. for almost so many things. Like and not to romanticize this, but you go back to the 60s and maybe there was a guy who a black guy beat up his mom. So he went into the force with a bias and he that sat in his head and maybe he just had a thing to go after black people mm-hmm. and he could say to his, and I think this is probably somewhat true what we see of like current shows and older shows. Um, he brings a guy he pulled over and he said, I saw a knife in his car and he lunged at me and he tells his chief and the chief says, lock him up. And, we, and that never happened. Like, it's hard to do that stuff anymore. It's not impossible, but it's really hard, right? Ha! No, it's easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, at, I, least, I, at least we I, have more information than ever before. Yes, yes. we have more information, yeah. but yeah, I can't say those things don't happen. The one of the issues when you say TV and information that's out there, I think the shows like CSI have really done a disservice. <laughs> There's a thing called the CSI effect on juries that we had in the past when that show was just ah, huge. Mm-hmm. And everybody wanted forensic evidence. Well, another reason for wrongful convictions is bad forensics, mm-hmm. junk science, junk evidence. Um there are there are issues with the science that we're still using in courtrooms there are things that we know are not legitimate they are not good evidence and those things are often still being used right things like bite marks bite marks like People how do you yes legitimate. or sometimes even things like even just as simple as like a shoe print yeah and you know how can you convict somebody or know exactly yeah, like their teeth mm-hmm. match this bite mark, and it's just, it's... Why can't that be synced up? I mean, it's just, it's one. Think about, do you, think about, do you bruise easily? Right. No. I o- do. Only my heart. 
I'm kidding. I do bruise easily. So if you're bit and I'm bit, it's going to look differently. Mm -hmm. Sure. Additionally, how deep is it? Which tooth is it? Don't our teeth all kind of the top here? I'm pointing to my top of my teeth, audience. A little bit look the same. <laughs> yeah, know, I mean, it's we not, have these two. It's we not as unique these. as DNA. Right. It's not right. that unique. So, and I'm I'm genuinely asking this question. So, are you telling me that, like, let's say there's a domestic thing, and this seems to happen. This happens like a lot with athletes, and because we read about it, so I guess. That makes it happen a lot. There's a domestic dispute, and and the they put their hands on one another, and she or he drops the charges. They're like, "Look, this was way overblown. It, it, we're we're cool." But maybe police or whoever sees some pretty bad bruises. Doesn't anybody think to go or to ask? She bruises really easily, and and a, and what was a tap could come off looking like a punch. Or am I just thinking too smart for this goddamn broken system? <laughs> <laughs> no, those those are good questions. Um, when you when you, I don't want to say that. Um, yeah, there there is a there is a fine line. Mm-hmm. D- domestic violence is a really really hard um, situation because you don't want to allow anybody to get hurt at all. And even if there are no bruises, even if someone was just grabbed and pulled or pushed, that's still a type of assault. So that the bruises don't necessarily tell the whole picture. But yeah, we in, in law enforcement, I'll just say those are really hard crimes. Yeah. To I mean, again, it's been on for decades, so it's. I think it's a reasonable source here. We've all seen that with Law and Order. I love right. like once every mm-hmm. couple of years, and there's one episode that sticks out to me, and I can't remember the actor and the actress. Where it was actually a very unusual Law and Order episode, where it was focused more on the victims and their stories rather than the focus of the cast. Mm-hmm. And you you left that episode going, I have no idea who was telling the right. truth. Mm-hmm. So yeah. thankfully, we yeah. at least do have some information, some cameras these days, because think. If if we didn't have the things we have, the police cameras, security cameras, everybody's right, got their right. rings. Right. There could be so many more improprieties, so many more criminals. Well, you look know. at the young man. Um, what was his name? The five police, five black police officers beat the crap out of the young man and and ended up killing him. Was this within the last years year? Ago. This, it was a couple of years. This was ago. in COVID times, right? Yeah. They were fi- not not. And a neighborhood camera caught it, or they would have gotten away with it. And these were... uh, Why can't I think of his name? And I want to think it was like in the... Not Louisville because of that one situation, but in that... that I think it was Memphis or something. Um, I know what you're talking about. mm -hmm. Because everybody's like, oh, they're blaming the the black cops for the wrong thing. And they really Um, whooped his ass. And I think they... For no reason. We did an event on, right? I can't remember Yes, we did do an event on it. We oh, had no, after that happened. I, uh, Tyree Nichols. Yes, that's Tyree it. Nichols. Was, he, was that the victim? That, that was, was the victim. victim. Yes, Tyree Nichols. And I think yep. they, they dug in and they found out these were some some pretty bad dudes on the yep. police force who had some anger issues and obviously mm-hmm. took it out. And we just, I mean, these things. I, the, yeah. The yeah. Things that we watch these days, and there was. Um, and then a, people tried to say sorry that it wasn't racism, but. <laughs> It was a black male, the young man that was killed, Tyree Nichols. And um, when you, everyone has bias, Mm -hmm. no matter what. You're a human being. And you can be a black person, a black police officer, and have 
bias against black people. Do you know what colorism is? Yes. Why don't yeah, you explain well, that, Dr. The, Jessica? <laughs> it's uh, the idea, basically, that even within like the black community, lighter skin yes, is favored yes. over darker skin. Yep, and so or, there's or bias. Yeah, or you're you know, biased like, against dark skin. It, yeah. It's racism yeah. within it. It's, it right. it's called colorism. So, mm-hmm. And thankfully, like... I can't, you can't put a fine enough point on this. And this is where I rub a lot of people the wrong way. Even I'm just trying to have a casual conversation. Like you're a human being. You are not a computer. Right. You have bias. E- even yes. even me, I say I am the most pragmatic, objective person you'll find. And that's true, but that doesn't mean I am completely objective. It's mm-hmm. impossible as a human being. We're a product of our experiences. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every, everything that we've learned, that we've seen on television, that our parents have told us, that our church, our schools, our teachers, our friends, everything makes us who we are. And the experiences, let, let, let's say we have a bad experience with a PhD in sociology. Or in Jessica. Yeah. It happens sometimes. <laughs> and I'm going to hold this little grudge against that type of person not consciously but it's back there it's mm-hmm. there can i throw a super uh abs- no. i'll throw it to jessica can i throw a super <laughs> abstract thought out to you and uh alex and i who works at uh, neighborhood properties and she's in our mental health mm-hmm. circle you would know her if you saw her um she's my best friend and we're we we align with this we've kind of come to this as we've learned a lot through mm-hmm. COVID times and these things have become top of mind, top of discussion. And you know, uh, Judge Navarre, mm-hmm. you have, mm-hmm. so I, her and I have had a dialogue a little bit about this and I know she is a big mental health advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, she owes me a podcast visit. But <laughs> I kind of fell on this thing where it's like, it's not everything, but you can chalk a lot of criminality up to, and I am not, like you said, to start this whole thing. People who are guilty should be punished, but it's not so black and white, no mm-hmm. pun intended. Um, people, criminality, I think a lot of criminality, and tell me I'm wrong, um, a lot of criminality, you can point back to um, mental health issues, which are people's experiences, and a lot of socioeconomic issues, which, as you've done a good job illustrating, society itself are responsible for in many ways. Mm -hmm. And I know that is a very, I said it was abstract. It is a constellation of colors where, you know, there's places and I'm sure we've, we're all familiar with the stories where because of like redlining in certain neighborhoods, we have kept people, we've kept black people and poor people in certain neighborhoods and not allowed them to get out through politics and things like that. Laws. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the laws Mm -hmm. have been put in place to kind of like, it's another kind of imprisonment in a way. And that person turns to crime. Mm-hmm. And granted, they, they should be punished for whatever they did. But I, I hope, I hope, and it was great to have this discussion with Judge Navarre, we can look and go, they did these things because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Yep. For Absolutely. sure that that um, when you mention red lighting, I'm teaching a civil rights class right now. And I, I think that every individual that works in law enforcement that deals with the um, black and brown community for sure needs to look at why we have the neighborhoods the way we do. Mm -hmm. And it was actual laws and policies. Mm -hmm. And when we look at, well, we talk about in this country, you know, anyone can make it. (laughs) They can't. Pull yourselves up. Well, we don't all start at the same place, number one. And, And number two... The way that our country is pushed making money 
is through home ownership. And if we're telling a group of people you can't buy houses and you sure can't buy them in these areas where they're going to grow and mm-hmm. make you money, then how do you earn generational wealth? You, you don't. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of the problem in the black community right now. Two great things that I've, I've come across just recently. And this is all things, stuff we're familiar with. I, I heard, heard that, uh, you know, housing is healthcare. And it was a couple of states. It might be Oregon and, and I think Arizona, which would kind of be a surprise for this pilot program where they're mm-hmm. going to they're looking to dedicate some Medicaid money to rent. Mm-hmm. Amazing yeah. things happen when people have a, have a roof over their mm-hmm. heads. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the other? I lost my train of thought with one of the, those. Uh, the causes of crime. Yeah, which I can, I mean, if you have an entire semester, yeah. you can yeah. take yes, you uh, criminology yeah. with me. Yeah. So, I mean, I teach our criminology class, which is theories, like why do people commit crime? And some of what you're talking about is, I mean, I could name, I don't know, countless theories that we have. But nope. one thing that comes to mind... <laughs> I won't, I won't go. I can talk forever. <laughs> this is Let's get the soapbox up. No, um, but what some of what we're talking about too is uh, what we call like the subculture of violence. And I think about like Elijah Anderson is a sociologist who studies urban areas, and so he studies urban violence. And he has a book called Code of the Street, um, which I have students read, and it's a really good look at how when you um, isolate and alienate an entire group of people and then keep them impoverished. Uh, you see the this culture of violence. Like if I can't get respect because, you know, for most of us, we get respect through things like finances and economics. Like I can buy a new car, a new house, all of that. And I can have a job that is worthy of people's respect. Mm-hmm. If I don't have that, then I can turn to violence to get respect mm-hmm. um, and to have some kind of social standing amongst my peers and have power. Um, and, a lot of it's also that hopelessness. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get out of this situation. I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a lawyer. I don't have, you know, these op- options available to me. So, And they have people who commit yeah. crimes, and we've seen this around here, with that mindset that you've illustrated, they have nothing to lose. Yeah, right. exactly. They, right. they know that they're going to wind up in jail or, mm-hmm. or dead. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so when those are the consequences, yeah. when that's how the, the parameters of your life have been set up n- through none of your own doing, right. like what do you have to lose if you shoot somebody? Right. Um, the right. other thing with the housing thing, um, mm-hmm. this has come up a lot, whether it's it's crime or just success in life, to your point of we don't all start at the, like I know zip, zip code. Like zip code mm-hmm. means is basically the outline of your life. Mm-hmm. Like that's where you start. And mm-hmm. and there is a great level of accurate predictability mm-hmm. based on your zip code about what you're going to be in life. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. Yeah. 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 I, I always have a discussion with my students when they when they pull this, you know, anyone can make it in our country. <laughs> and and I discuss the fact that I'm not a millionaire. And are they saying that? I didn't work hard enough. Right. Like, why am I not a millionaire? Mm-hmm. I, I work hard. Right. Some I of the hardest working people hard. I know <laughs> but you don't to, make a lot of money. You right? have to look at her shoe closet and I'll tell you why she's not a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I say, you know, I, I wish I would have been born like Hilton, like mm-hmm. Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. I mean, she started in a different place than I did. I probably worked harder than her. Oh, did I just say that? Yeah. yeah I might have. She DJs, I think, like right, five right. nights a week. Right. Yeah, okay. good for her. That's like she, true. she works harder now than job. she probably ever has. Yeah, um, <laughs> you will like this, and I, I think you you trust me as the eyewitness. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one of the times when I was speaking to uh, the academy recruits, um, and I think this was just like shorthand off the cuff stuff, and I I saw like a lot of light bulbs overhead. Like nobody, nobody asks to have a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Nobody asks to be poor, mm-hmm. and sure as hell, nobody is born that way. Genetics a little bit, obviously, right, right. but. Nobody's born, and when I say nobody's born like that or nobody asks to be homeless or to be violent or a criminal, mm-hmm. um, I saw a lot of like, oh, that that makes a lot of sense. And I wish there was more of that narrative right. than mm-hmm. keep the poor people poor and yeah. lock up the bad people. Yeah. yeah. Right. But it, it, as we've just illustrated for 75 minutes, yeah. Yeah. this is a very complicated conversation. Yeah. And then that's yeah. not even... In, Tailing like the financial aspects, which we've only briefly touched on. Right. Yep. And and just to mention the the mental health issue, I do like to touch that in that um, so many people blame mental health issues for violence, <laughs> but mental health is not a predictor of violence at all. In fact, when we look at these um, mass shootings school shootings it's not the mental health issues that an individual may have it's oftentimes more of the lack of emotional intelligence and their ability to not know what to do with their anger and individuals with mental health issues are more likely to take it out on themselves where that Mm -hmm. anger and that but the one that doesn't that's and, all we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, 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 we're not, but it goes back to your 10 guilty versus one. Right, um, right. You're a thousand percent right. We have like X amount, like infinite amount more suicides than murders, but right. bleeds, leads. And we always talk about right. this with mm-hmm. the kids. Um, so they, they get the severity of it. But you just talked about like the lack of emotional intelligence, which might walk me down the path of psychopathy. Oh, and boy. so <laughs> we can... So I, I, I think that, that a lot of this stuff is mm-hmm. is a mental health issue or at the very least, like you've had some bad experiences. Like I think reading Mein Kampf is probably a mental health issue in some way. I can, <laughs> well, I, let's reasonable- be real. Every single person in society has a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Every brain. Si- right. Right. Brain. We have right. a brain. Exactly. And so, it, but it's when we get down to, does a diagnosable mental health issue make you any more violent than another person? No. no. It is not going to make you go out and commit crimes any more than a person without a diagnosable mental health issue. It could. You're going to be arrested more for your <laughs> disorderly conduct, potentially. Okay. I- the, Tell the, me what, the sm- what you're the, thinking. The small stuff, yeah. Um, someone with a mental health issue, and had I not gotten help that I did, I was likely to, I was never going to be a danger to anybody else. I would have taken my own right. life. But you, that person doesn't have the guardrails of a person who has a more working brain. And For sure. So, so they can, if things are around, snap. That's why I would never, like, no, I have, you've probably heard me say this, no one should ever sell me a gun. Right. Because, mm-hmm. well, you can do a, you can push yourself down the stairs, you can hang yourself, knife. Yeah, but men use guns right. all the time. And, yeah. it, and it's quick and it's irreversible. Right. So that's the thing. Like, people with mental health issues don't have some of the guardrails in place that they need that a person with a more working, less damaged brain has that when something snaps, there's no going back. I, and I agree 
but that doesn't translate into criminality. No, no. it really doesn't. No, but I no but people I, think it does. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. Okay. I, whenever <laughs> somebody does something, so the guys that so apparently, I don't know if this, I tweeted this out today. Like, I don't know if it's good or bad that the the Super Bowl parade shooting was because there was a fight. Um, so I don't know I if that's good that. or bad that right. it wasn't white terrorism because that means <laughs> right. we okay you want guns you got them let's act like responsible people then mm-hmm. and we can't because we can't communicate anymore right. and I'm not saying that like any of that is mental health stuff no that no. is the emotional well, intelligence yeah, correct. completely if, well, yeah, I yeah. can't tell you my and especially with and I know people hate to hear this, but the toxic masculinity. That's what I was getting ready to say. I mean, a bigger Gosh, correlate. So much alike. But a bigger correlate of crime is gender or men. sex. Yes. Thou- oh, the th- vast majority of crimes are committed by thousand, men. Thousands. Like, absolutely. Aren't the women ones really bad? Like the Florida lady? <laughs> yeah. Probably because they're so vengeful because of the masculinity. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They've been treated by. Uh, yeah. Toxic I mean, men. yeah. Eileen Wernos. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I think we landed on the same point where mental health doesn't, poor mental health doesn't mean you're going to do something violent or awful. But when something does happen, I can go, aha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And go, okay, this person, like the woman that just got crucified, rightly so, the Michigan mom, uh, Oh, what, her son shot right. someone, right? And so she was, was she convicted? Uh, I of, believe uh, so. Of, and the sentencing is coming serious? up. Yes. Yeah. And I had not, I've been off the news because God. I'm, it's For depressing. mental health. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. mental health. And yeah. it, it wasn't. What are we saying if we hold well, a mom? A wait, there's a, there's a, tech, <laughs> there is a technicality that okay. a lot of people forgot. Okay. What um, was it? That those two dumbasses had just been called to the school in a meeting for a behavioral issue, which they dusted off. That's okay. not usually the case with these. Like, you get the moms, and I'm like, let me ask you another Batman Joker question. Okay. Um, would you? Because I do feel some. I feel some sympathy for these parents whose kids go on on these rages. They're white kids. Um, mm-hmm. Would you rather have your kid be a mass murderer? Or be killed in something like that. Well, I was just. I'll take a twenty-page paper yeah, when you're, exactly. when you're ready. <laughs> I was just having this discussion because both my boys were raised a certain way, and they're completely different. Um, there are things that parents can do to help their kids, to hurt their kids, but the bottom line is what your kids do are their choices, and. My kids do a lot of things that I did not teach them. Right. You know, You're a not... lot. A lot. Well, I, a I, lot. I, <laughs> come on, Josh. I, I bring it up because. And Luke. <laughs> to that, like, if Josh did something awful and, and heinous, like, if Josh. I wanted to go back earlier and say. I'd rather. I, to answer your question, I'd rather him be the. The victim. The, really? No. The perpetrator? Because at least he'd be with me. You don't know that. I mean, I think we're using. We'll call him. We'll call James. James did something awful. He 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 drank too much one night and he killed a bunch of high school kids after a prom. Mm-hmm. You are a beautiful person. That would devastate you. Yeah. Be, mm-hmm. And not that you would feel directly guilty for it, but you would know the you'd have the scarlet letter the rest of your life, right. knowing and this I'm... person had a moment of well, hopefully it wasn't a drinking problem. It was just right. a, one terrible incident. Right. But I think there's a lot of guilt with these. 
Oh, people oh, we yeah. call bad parents. For I sure. think did it was it Eric Klebold's mom who yeah. did a TED talk about yes, yes. Being, I'll have to watch that. I like the, that stuff. Being a mom of one of the Columbine it's, shooters. It's yeah. amazing. It really, yeah. yeah. And her son obviously is not here. But right. to answer that question, even if my son murdered someone and he's alive, he's still with me. That's how much I love my son. Mm-hmm. Both of them, not just Josh, Luke, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I never met him at the Olive Oil store, so he doesn't exist to me. Right. Um, but uh, rather than them be the victim because they're not with me. Right. But along that same lines, is I don't believe you can blame parents for everything that their children do. No. And we want to do that. And we want to... Say if they're if that child is good. Oh, look at what a good parent I was. <laughs> you got damn lucky. Yeah, you just got lucky. It, it, you really did. This is more. This is like the the, the mob and internet commenting. Where they're like, how do they not know that like they were reading Mein Kampf and buying guns on the internet? <laughs> really? Like you know how many dick you know dick right? You know how many dick picture kids have sent to his, to his girlfriend? <laughs> I mean, yes, there was a good book, uh, Coddling of the American Mind by a couple of, are you familiar with it? Yeah. Pretty good book. And I'm not like that conservative person. You probably tell me I'm pretty liberal, but there are certain like adult viewpoints you got to have. And that thing was uh, pretty eye opening to me. And one of the things in there that I read was, uh, don't protect your kids, prepare them. Exactly. Yes. Yes. My my husband right. is still oh I shouldn't say that <laughs> my husband is still a teacher and that's the one thing that he sees is that the the parents want to protect their kids from anything bad rather than saying you know hey go in kid you got to do this you got to do this work to get your A rather than the parent calling and fighting why didn't my kid get this A and the protection from harm you're exactly right and the they need to learn and that's part of emotional intelligence the the entitlement that they have um forgive me and i'm looking up there's a very good uh writer he does podcasts and he brings on a lot of great guests he's he's, he's my favorite podcaster besides myself <laughs> um i'm trying to think of this woman's name and might, i might have to throw it at you after after the fact but you might know who she is and i won't keep you much longer um she had her on and she was a psychologist out in Cal or something and she's like my friend uh, Dr. Mata that I mentioned earlier uh, uh, Andre is very much like that kid's got to go to class like mm-hmm. there, there's anxiousness and there's anxiety <laughs> and that kid's she's, she's stern she's got a strong mm-hmm. attitude mm-hmm. this woman was like that but with a, a more tender touch and they she was very brilliant like checked all the boxes and I wish I could mm-hmm. recommend this podcast to everybody, but we all got too much to listen to and watch. Mm-hmm. But like, she, she said it with a tender touch. She's like, you got to power through. She didn't say this, but you got to power through some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. know where or how to find that line. And certainly parents should know their kids best, but they're definitely not psychologists. Right. But they have to figure out. But they think it, they're a total oh. reflection of themselves. And so, like, I... I never got below a B ever in my life. And so ever for, on any for thing? my I mean on grade cards. Okay. I'm sure I did, yeah. I, I had sure. some colorful report right. cards. <laughs> but so to see my children get an F on something killed me. Killed me. But they did that. 
and they have to suffer the consequences and they need to figure out how not to not do that you go again. fighting it right exactly right. And, I, and and it's almost like I know everybody's like I should be taught life skills like teach me how to do my taxes and, and <laughs> like how do I like you'd sleep through that too asshole <laughs> um we tried that when I taught at Whitmer in the crew tech center we did Oh, I'm sure all the I'm sure 14 and 15 year olds really yeah, love learning no, about taxes. Well, with the, <laughs> the desire to know more, like more life skills, and unfortunately, you don't learn this stuff until you've lived life. Right. And we mm-hmm. here's my theory. You can punch holes in this too. Um, a lot of the kids now, um, they have parents that are actually slightly younger than me. Like they're they're true millennials. Those millennials grew up in the 90s, uh, late 80s, 90s, where it was, we accepted and embraced and championed single parenthood. It was no longer the stigma. So that's kind of where I, I think some people, the, the trophy culture began because that kid shuttling between two parents didn't get a lot of no's. Yeah. And now those, those kids are parents of that kid that would, the parent rather go fight the grade rather than go, why didn't you study? And I don't know how, and I'm glad this is not me. I just have to figure, I have to look at my dog's eyes and goes and go, do you have to go out? And <laughs> I don't know how parents can look at a human and go, and correctly go, my kid is anxious. Uh, and it's not because he didn't study for the chemistry test. It's because the teacher picks on him. There's a bully in the class. And to parse that apart is a thankless, nearly impossible mm-hmm. job. Yeah. But you're right. You've got too many championing parents who feel entitled and love to go scream at school boards now. But Jessica, are you a parent? No. I have That's two right. cats. Right. All right. The easy life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to know what they're up to, too. Yes. How Can you give me an example of yours, mom, when you had to tell Josh or Luke, and I know you used the grades thing, but maybe another time, like, you didn't even tell them, but you were just going to let them hang there and know that they had to get through this themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There, it, it was it was often grades or if it was a teacher that was doing something they didn't like or someone in the class, they had to learn how to talk about it. But my my and my husband didn't always agree with this, but my way of disciplining my kids when they did something wrong was sit down, talk about it. What did you do? Was that a good choice, a bad choice? And then what would have been a better choice? And what would the consequences have been? And who did that hurt? So we'd go through scenarios and so that they would learn the consequences of their actions. Um, My husband wanted a more harsher punishment always. Get the belt. <laughs> yeah. No, we we agreed young, no spanking. Um, it's it's but your... there, there are always these things. I can tell you for a fact, I went to one teacher for my son Luke when he was growing up. And it, and it was basically a a plea of please help this child who's dealing with some things and you know don't give him something but just help him i didn't say change his grade i right. didn't say da 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 but and i talked to luke before i did it i did whoops i shouldn't have said which one it was but it was luke <laughs> <laughs> so i wasn't going in and saving him but you were creating the parameter you were giving context to the teacher exactly telling him what was going on in 
this child's life at this moment. Unfortunately, yeah. and we can wrap up with this. Thank you so much for your time. Um, there are far more, uh, there are not enough Christians as parents as there is everybody else who have those experiences. That training to discuss that consequences discussion and there's much more much less effective parenting being done so we just we're in this we're in this cycle and Mm -hmm. that's where i think people like us have to go we don't have enough hands to plug all the holes we do we do the little that we can and we we hope we we hope it works out but we got to worry about like the people in our orbit as much as we'd like to help everybody and save the world yeah well i i take pride in my parenting i was a researcher looked things up did everything but my kids are both a mess i'm sorry they are <laughs> and, that, and that's not all on me <laughs> but you do everything right i did the best and, yeah. i could yeah yeah um I did. the lord's initiative for exoneration oh, wrongful conviction is that what we're talking no, about here I, I, <laughs> so i knew this morning i was like Shit, I know it's about wrongful convictions. Where was that TOL article I forgot to save? And I looked it up, and and then the box opened, and I was like, I hope in my head, I was like, hope they know there's gonna be a long discussion. Um, but this is an important yep. discussion, and thank you so much for the time. Any final thoughts or how people can and should track you down for any kind of help that you can offer them? Ooh. Well, we do have an email. So if you are, I guess, interested in anything that we're doing or if you want to help or if you have any cases you would like us to take a look at, it is life at Lords. Lords is L-O-U-R-D-E-S mm-hmm. dot E-D-U. Um, and so you can send an email to us that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Kristen Blakowski, mm-hmm. former FBI agent, um, not former FBI agent, but Dr. Jessica Ziegler. Yep. Thank you, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you.